This is the Dive Bomb Squadcast, presented by Dive Bomb Industries. What's up, guys and gals? Asher Tolliver back with another episode of the Dive Bomb Squadcast. Thank you all for joining us today. It's late November, and as far as waterfowl hunting, everybody is in play at this point. The Southern boys have waited patiently. So I hope you've all had a chance to get out by now. Today, I am joined by a couple of our very own, Mr. Forrest Carpenter, and our newest employee, Mr. Kyle Jones. Guys, what's up? Hey, how's it going, man? Happy to be here. It's uh, middle of duck season. I see everybody killing a bunch of stuff. I'm sitting at home. I need to get out, scout, and try to go kill some myself. I heard that. Man, all is, all is right in the world here. I've had... I've had an opportunity to go on a few, you know, not so work hunts, but some low key hunts here in my home state, you know, sniff around some, you know, some public flooded timber, you know, uh, so it's good, man. You know, I, I love my job. I love traveling and the big shoots and lots of clients, but there's just nothing like being in your back, you know, your backyard with your closest friends. Now, Kyle, you're brand new to this whole gig. What are your thoughts on how it's going so far with Dive Bomb? Uh, man, I, to be honest, I wasn't really, I didn't know what, what to really expect diving into it. I knew, I knew we'd be, you know, traveling around, hunting, uh, having a bunch of different opportunities to hunt in a lot of really cool places and see a lot of really cool things. But like, man, there's, there's so much power and not not necessarily power but so much positivity behind the brand uh and a lot of motion um with the eyes you know our targets our our eyes are set on our targets and they're all forward you know what i'm saying like there's a lot of lot of really really positive energy um within the employees within the brand and it makes it extremely extremely exciting uh to work with and you know traveling to duck hunt is is not a not a negative by any means either. So, but it's, it's been a really, really cool, uh, learning curve. Um, and to be honest, like I've felt, I've, I've been extremely challenged with a lot of, you know, I, I wasn't, I'm not super savvy with a camera. I'm not super savvy with a lot of, you know, editing software and stuff like that. So being able to actually sit down with all of you guys and, and learn that and take the time to show me and, and, and teach me that stuff has been, you know, it's been extremely cool because not only does it, does it help myself out, but it also is, it's, that's helping the entire brand out as well as, you know, making the team extremely, uh, you know, just that much stronger, um, to be able to, to go forward, uh, and, and to completely keep working towards those goals. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, we're we're excited to have you on board. We we uh, we liked you from the start. We like what we've seen so far, and the way you've latched on to you know what we're doing and and kind of our culture. And uh, we're you know we're really we're excited about you, man. And your schedule's about to intensify, so I might have to ask you that question again here in a few months after your wife strangles your neck you know, you might have a different answer for me. So, so we'll, uh, the verdict's still out on that, but I know you and Forrest, you went out, visited our friend, Alex Russo, Flatland Flyways, you picked up the camera and either one of you had a license. 
And uh, it's funny, you you two are just like a couple peas in the pod, like me and Nick and Cade. We're kind of like watching y'all's story, and we're like, man, look at these freaking goobers out here calling it geese in these pond and we just loved it we were just eating it up and i'm like look at them you know they're these two like competition callers i was like they're out here driving past ponds looking for like hybrids and quills and they're like calling at them from the car i was like man this is gonna be great so we're uh we're excited about about this and um it's it's gonna be a lot of fun now quickly before we get into it i say we're excited about this you know not only having kyle on board with us, but Forrest, would you like to talk about what Kyle and yourself have kind of been working on, uh, something we've kind of been working on internally, some ideas we've been throwing around, something new that everyone can expect to see coming uh, from us and our YouTube channel? Absolutely, man. And and, and for all you folks who have been watching the uh, the Instagram stories, you probably already started to pick up on it a little bit uh, and noticing that we're uh, going out and especially myself and, and Kyle and I and, and, and really all of us at one point or another going out and we're going to be doing uh, some more, uh, I wouldn't say solo, but smaller group, uh, you know, oftentimes public land grinded out kind of hunts. You know, we, we have been blessed to get to go all over the country and hunt with different outfitters all over the place and just have a great time lining up, you know, eight to 10, 15 guys and, and really dropping down some birds, having a great time. But, um, you know, the, the reality is for most people in America, that's just not going to happen. You know, whether it's spending money on leases or, or buying giant spreads, that's, that's not for everybody. And there's folks who just flat out don't like it either. So, um, you know, we're going to start focusing on some of the other folks who go out, who work hard, who hike their decoys into a public spot. Um, you know, it's it's not leases and layups every day. So we want to uh, go out and show folks how we would do it with our backgrounds and our experiences from traveling across the country and uh, contest calling, guiding, all that stuff. Uh, you know, we want to kind of show people how we would go about doing it. And it's going to be an informative series, so you're going to be able to learn a lot about it. And hopefully it's uh, you know, kind of entertaining, too. Uh, Kyle and I are kind of goofy looking, but aside from that, you know, we like to hunt stuff, and we're a bunch of bird nerds, and uh, you know, this, is, this is what gets us going. So, I mean, I've been super excited about it, absolutely just amped going out and doing some of these public land hunts while I'm still trying to figure out how to run a video camera, man, it has been so much fun to go out there. And, you know, like you talked about doing your own hunting uh, at home, some public land, some old friends, uh, you know, there's just something about taking it back to your roots that uh, it, it, there's just a deep connection with that. And the more I travel uh, and the more I hunt with all sorts of awesome people, um, you know, there's always that little bit in the back of my mind that, that leaves me yearning for what I, you know, where I learned how to hunt. That's public land and going myself and whoever else I could drag into taking a two and a half hour drive to go and, you know, chase a couple ducks on some random little stretch of river. You know what I mean? No, absolutely, man. It's, I can't wait. I'm so excited about it. And this certainly doesn't mean that we're going to you know, slow down on our outfitter visits, our outfitter travels, our, you know, big piles, big rainouts. That's still going to happen. Um, we're still going to be doing that. But we just want to find a way to be relatable for the exact reason that Forrest just stated. You know, having the access to uh, 
uh, get on private ground, you know, whether it's permission or, or uh, throwing money at somebody, everybody, we don't have that in our back pocket. A lot of us don't, um, you know, like Forrest said, the huge decoy spreads, hunting with, you know, 10, 15 other people. Like the goal is to be raw, real, show the reality of what goes into putting together a successful or not so successful waterfowl hunt. That's, uh, that's the bottom line. So, uh, we're, we're so excited about that and you guys be sure to, to, to stay tuned and, um, it's going to be a lot of fun. Kyle, do you have anything, uh, that you want to add on that or any, uh, exciting things that people can look forward to? Um, yeah, I mean, other, you know, to, to top on what, what Forrest was saying, we're just gonna, we're going to keep on, uh, bringing a bunch of different, uh, different styles of hunting. Uh, you know, and, and the cool part about it is it's, it's, it's going to be one of those, like, we're going to be learning as well with, with some of the stuff, you know, like sure. every, every hunt is a learning opportunity. It's not never 99.9% of the time, you know, they're not all the same exact hunts over and over and over again. So there's still going to be so many different things where we might make a, you know, we're going to make an adjustment right in the middle of this thing and, and, and finish crushing birds or heck we might not scratch out another one, but we had a, a, awesome time and, and created some memories, but we're also, you know, we're going to, we're going to dwell and get into a lot of different tips and, uh, tricks, uh, more so along, not only just operating Canada goose calls, duck calls and spec calls, uh, but you know, the right time to read birds and how they're reacting, how we called in this certain scenario we're going to really really dive into that and i think it's just going to be you know we're not just going to provide you know spreads and and tips and public land hunts it's going to be a one it, it, the information that you're going to get from these channels this, the dive bomb channels is going to be absolutely immense because we're it's not just be you know we're not just going to have forced and i in there but it's going to be a lot of other guys that come in it might be hopefully get like a rusty creasy um, or like, or some guys in California, Arkansas, Asher would be great to, to give some tips to um, something like that. We want to, we want to make it a, a well-rounded uh, informational center uh, for waterfowlers. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. We can't wait. It's going to be a lot of fun. So moving forward last night in the, closed Facebook page. I told everyone I was recording a podcast episode with you guys and I wanted some suggestions on some good things we could talk about or questions anybody may have. So we're just going to get into it. Obviously, we cannot get to all of these because there's a bunch, but I'm just going to go through and start picking random questions or comments and we can touch on them a bit. I'll go on record to say we don't have a magic eight ball. And the last thing we want to do is come across like we have it all figured out because we don't. However, we've all been very blessed to have taken in a lot of valuable information from experienced mentors starting at a very young age and picked up a lot more along the way during our own experiences and travels hunting with guys at the top of the game. 
all we want to do is share the little bit of information we have or what we believe to be true through our own experiences and hopefully help somebody out along the way. That's all. So with that said, are you guys ready? Let's roll. Let's do it. Okay. So Ryan Applegate, he asked about the spread and calling tips for running traffic. This question isn't species specific, but I'm going to assume that Ryan is asking about front range Canada geese. Uh, I actually hunted with Ryan last month in North Dakota while freelancing uh, they're the guys I ran into him at the hotel. He's with Donnie Ottaway. We did a podcast on it. Great guys. Uh, Forrest, with Ryan being a Colorado guy, uh, I want to let you take this one. Uh, spread, calling tips, running traffic, Front Range Canada's. Heck yeah. I mean, this is really, it's, it's the only way you can hunt front range Canada's because everything's leased up. So, you know, most of the time for, for those of you who don't know, you know, we, we pretty much live in dirt walled pits, uh, and we are very rarely on an X. So, uh, you know, I, I don't want to make it sound, everybody thinks the geese, they hunt are the toughest geese in the world. I'm not going to go that far, but I'll say that, you know, there's a lot of really, uh, really well-known Canada goose killers out there that come from this area and that deal with these challenges. And that's what makes them good hunters. Um, so uh, personally, I, you know, there's, there's a million different things. Basically, uh, the, the goal is to look different. All right. And this is something that I, I say all the darn time. And, and I think all of us touch on it, uh, is, is to just separate yourself from others. But, um, most of the time for me, that means going big. And if, if you know me and you know that if I got a 50 acre field, I'm going to try to cover, you know, 20 acres in decoys. You know, I, I try to, I try to make things look big and I try to make them look realistic. And sometimes it means that geese are going to land in my decoys and 120 or 150 yards out. Um, but the goal for me is to make it look as realistic as possible from a long distance. So, um, let's say that, that I'm in a field and I've got a flight line of geese that might not be directly over me. Say they're, uh, they're a, a mile to the east of me. So what I'm going to do, if, if these geese are to the east of me, I'm going to run my spread. Uh, and it depends on the wind as well, but we, you know, we, we're kind of half and half between dead calm wind days and real windy days out here. So, um, you know, if all things considered, I'm going to make my spread look as big as I can from the direction those geese are going to be looking at me. So if they're looking from the east to the west towards me, I'm going to run my decoys north-south parallel to their flight line to make it look like there is a giant footprint of birds out. Um, and, and a lot of this has to do with spacing. You know, you don't have to have a hundred dozen decoys to do something like this. Uh, it's all in, in relativity. So if, if you keep your decoys, uh, you know, three to six steps apart, your spread's going to look a whole lot bigger with the same number of decoys as if you put them, you know, two to three steps apart, pretty, pretty obvious stuff. Um, so I'll run a big, long spread and really just try to put a huge footprint down. Uh, and a lot of times, uh, you know, especially if I'm running traffic, I'm going to be using those V2 black and whites. I mean, those things, they're awesome. I mean, I've, I've never seen a decoy like them that have such a presence in the field. And that fully flocked black and white uh, silhouette just pops so much. Uh, it really increases your pulling power uh, while letting you run a nice loose spread. 
So, uh, you know, I, I think those are a couple big things. Uh, you know, you, you want to talk about calling. Calling's important, sure. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll always preach that pitch is better than volume uh, and pitch is going to carry. And what I mean by that is the higher pitched call is going to carry better and wind and on a clear day, either one, uh, than will just sheer volume. So, uh, you know, if, if you got a real nice high pitch call, like personally, it's it, for me, it, it's the half breed or maybe the short mag, um, you know, very similar calls, but they're, they're very, very loud, very high pitch. And those tones can be heard from very, very long way away. Uh, and, I, and I think Kyle would even agree, you know, we, we like to run Canada Goose calls a little bit higher um, pitched than you normally would just for that reason. You know, it's, it's going to carry better and you're going to have a more commanding presence over these keys. So um, real long, loose, natural spreads, black and whites, high, sharp pitch calls, uh, and then uh, flags. And I mean, I, I live and die by a flag that, I mean, you, you remember the old 2000s goose hunting uniform was Carhartt bibs and a black hoodie in case you forgot your flag. I mean, that's, that's just the deal. And if you, you know, if you got three guys running a flag and, you know, two of them have those nine foot extensions or something like that, I mean, it, it, it's all about being seen and, and letting them notice you. So um, really when it comes down to it, just do whatever it takes to be noticed. I think uh, the coolest thing, just sitting back and listening to that, was um, hearing you break down coming off of a bird's flight line and putting your decoys where you feel like they're going to have the most visibility. I think that's really, really overlooked. And I think that was just an excellent point you touched on right there. Now, guys, quickly, each of these questions really you could almost make a podcast episode out of all of them and we could do a lot of back and forth but i want to get to as many of these as i can so i do apologize if we touch on a question and maybe didn't get into the dialogue to get exactly what you were looking for or get quite as deep because i mean like i said we we could we could take one of these questions and seriously make an episode so i'm going to do the best we can to just scroll through these Facebook questions and, and move through them. So I hope we're going to do our best to touch on them, but we're going to try to keep it moving. So uh, that was awesome for us. Now, the next one that really caught my attention, uh, it wasn't really a question, but it was really more of a statement. And Matthew Switlick, he said, uh, and I'll quote this. He said, no more contest calling. That horse is not only dead, but that son of a bitch is so tender, people might mistake it for veal. Now, Kyle Jones, you are a back-to-back reigning world champion goose caller. What are your thoughts on that statement? Um, I think that, uh, you know, I'm extremely, extremely passionate about contest calling because that's I've done it since I was 15 years old. Uh, contest calling has provided me uh, some of the opportunities that I've had, um, thankfully, you know, and, and that statement, I feel like there's a deeper, uh, concern there in this. He has the wrong perception of contest calling. Yes. Contest calling is going downhill, uh, has been going downhill, but there's quite a few people that are trying to bring it back. Uh, you guys had your dive bomb calling contest. How many people were in that, Asher? Like, oh, it was insane, man. It was two. It was over. It was crazy. I think it was over two hundred. Yeah, just yeah, just in the amateur was one hundred and forty six. I think. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, so to say that contest calling is dead is an, an accurate statement because that is it, the, the rise of social media, ha, you know, for over the past few years, contest calling has gone down, rise of social media has gone up. Now, the, there's just not enough knowledge for people out there and there's not enough influence for people to try to get into, uh, to get into it or encourage them. I know some phenomenal, some phenomenal callers that had never even stepped on stage, never even thought about it until they were told, Hey dude, you're really freaking good at running a duck call. You're really good at running a goose call. Maybe you should step on stage. Now in Paducah, Kentucky, there's a two time back to back junior world goose calling champion because he was so good on a goose call. Cause that's just what his roots were that he would have, you know what I'm saying? Like it, it's just, there's, there's an attitude that uh, to be honest, there's contest callers have brought an attitude upon themselves of being, uh, you know, kind of pompous and arrogant um, that it has ruined their perception of people. Uh, you know, their viewpoints of people are like, well, he's a contest caller. He's a dick. Or, or jerk, sorry. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it's it's that attitude there that has, in my opinion, brought down contest calling. Uh, yeah, there's economical factors of it. You know, it's, it's more expensive to get a, a hotel room and travel and all that stuff. Um, but really, there's that perception that people have that I think is just skewed. Go back to what we were just talking about in traffic, right? You could have a guy lined up right across the street from you with the same exact spread. You know, we're right off the flight line. He's got the same exact spread. He's got a pit. We've got the same exact spread and we're in a pit, right? There's no way that I'm going to, if I'm going to call somebody to go run traffic, I'm going to call Forrest Carpenter and Hunter Grounds, you know, because dude, we're just, I mean, there's a, when it comes to contest calling, it just helps with opening up your playbook, right? That's my thought process on it, on it as well is that, okay, when it comes to being a waterfowl hunter, right? Think about it. Am I going to go run a triple option for the entire game? Yeah, it's going to win some games, but as soon as somebody comes in with a more experienced and talented and, diverse offense, they're going to put points on the board, plain and simple. You know what I'm saying? And they're going to outscore you every single, every single time. Uh, because you know, you can do the cluck, you can do the moan, you can do the double cluck. Yeah. But when time, when, when crap hits the fan and you got to pull some stuff out of your, out of your playbook, nothing will help a waterfowler more than getting into contest calling and understanding the vocabulary. Yes, with contest calling, it is, it, it's, you're going to do sounds in contests that you will never do in the hunting, in the hunting world. But I can tell you when it comes to, hey, if we need to get these geese, I'm going to hit a long drawn out spit note, maybe even some hails just to try to get their attention and pull them off that flight line because it's, it's gonna, it's gonna come in handy. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's a, that could be, we could talk about this for right. hours, but man, that's the, that's the short and simple, uh, answer, you know, Forrest and I, we talked about, we're really, really wanting to try to encourage people to get into contest calling and 
content it's not it's it's not dead there's a there's a perception of it and there's misinformation about it i think that what we're doing and the route we're going i think it's it's going to help get people more involved and more interested in it and overall help them become better waterfowlers Forrest, you're also an accomplished contest caller and you're very passionate about it coming from a guy who um is not a contest caller myself you know and i've got you know hunting background i'm not that old i'm 32 but i've been doing it you know since i was four do you think there is a perception from the non-contest guys that kind of like kyle said they think they're pompous or they're always gonna you know out hunt you because they know all these these different notes and all these um you know can make all these special sounds but then your regular average guy that just gets at it that is that is serviceable on a call do you think they say man that's bullshit like these guys they can make these sounds but do they know when to make these sounds at the right time or do they know how to get hidden the way i know how to get hidden or do they know how to set a decoy spread the way i know how to set a decoy spread can they shoot the way i can shoot do you think there's like a it's almost like they're like me. I don't, I don't care. I just hunt. I like to hunt with you guys that contest call I hunt with guys that don't. I'm just kind of, I'm just kind of neutral. Cause I have friends that do both. I don't really, I'm just kind of in the middle. I try not to get too caught up in it. I do love learning about the history of contest calling. And I agree. I don't think it's dead. I think it's pretty cool. In fact, but I'm not involved in it. Do you think there's people that are just hardcore waterfowlers, dudes that just grind that, that have this negative perception because they think, from some of the stuff they've seen that all these contest guys just think they're just the baddest killers when, when the reality is, yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of contest guys that definitely are killers. I have no doubt about that, but there's, I'm sure quite a lot that probably aren't. Um, they're very good on a call, but if you want to call them just stone cold waterfowl hunters, probably not. Do you think there's like a perception from these, guys that are just regular hunters that are they're good hunters they're good waterfowl hunters good at all those other aspects of hunting and they think they're just kind of under undershadowed by contest calls what do you is that what do you think it is that makes there's just you see a lot of bitterness yeah. i think yeah. you know what i'm talking about what do you weigh in on that for me yeah yeah i, I think and, and i want to touch on perception first off and you know whether it's contest callers versus non-contest callers or old guys versus young guys or Beethoven versus Eddie Van Halen. I mean, you know, there's, there's always going to be different viewpoints and um, <laughs> especially coming, coming off of an election, we, we know how well we listen to the other side. So, um, you know, I think people have pretty skewed perceptions of what uh, folks in the other category think. So I, I think, you know, it, it's best to remember that everybody probably ought to pump the brakes, maybe reach out to a guy and ask a couple questions before that, you know, they develop these lifelong set in concrete opinions. Um, because frankly, as a contest caller, I think that there's very few times where my contest calling ability has made the difference in killing birds versus not killing birds. Now, maybe, a, you know, add, add another bird to a day. Sure. I mean, that, that'd probably be a fair uh, thing to say, but, but versus, you know, just killing versus not killing. I don't think it's something that comes in handy all the time. Um, 
I'll say that, you know, being hidden, you know, just like you said, being hidden is huge. You know, there's so many different aspects that go into it. And a lot of contest callers that I do know really can't hunt very well. Um, you know, I wouldn't say it's the majority of them, but I'd say I, I know a handful, but I also know a handful who, uh, you know, I wouldn't want to have to hunt against because they just flat out get it. You know, you got your, your Fred Zinks, uh, your, your Derek McDaniels, your, your JD Stanley. I mean, the, the kind of guys who just look at a field and see it like a goose would. And that has nothing to do with contest calling, but contest calling has been one of the catalysts that's that's taken their obsession with these birds and is their passion with it and um, driven them to gain a whole nother level of understanding of these birds. You know, not just how they act in a field, but what sounds they use, what time of year. I mean, guys like Ken White, man, I mean, the, the stuff that he knows about specs and the time of year that they make certain notes and what they're doing, I mean, it's scary how well that that some of these guys know their targets and it's it becomes more than just wanting to get under the birds and killing them it's it's an obsession with these birds and you know that's what most of these contest callers are just bird nuts who can't get enough and you know want to live inside the skin of one of these birds so um, you know, I think that's the way you got to look at contest callers, you know, not, not as a bunch of arrogant jerks who run around and, and, you know, run their mouths on social media to say they're better than one another, no more than anybody else. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's about the same thing that we're all in it for and that's the birds. So, um, you know, I, I, I do think there's something to be said about, um, you know, if you think about a goose call, like a guitar, you know, if, if you know, a, a an E, a D and an A chord, you can probably get by and man, if you can learn a G chord, you can do about anything, but you know, you, you go say Mike could play smoke on the water, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, but you're not going to play stairway to heaven. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> that's exactly it, man. I mean, you, you get, you get someone, um, you know, who goes from playing chords and put them next to, you know, like I said, Eddie Van Halen. I mean, who can make the most ridiculous sounds on a guitar? No one ever thought possible. Um, tell me that there's no place for that. You know, tell me there's not a time where you need to get, uh, you know, you need to turn the volume up to 11 and let it rip. Uh, tell me there's not a time where, you know, you're sitting there and you're hunting these, you know, stale, giant, greasy, nasty, 14 pound honkers. Um, and, and you don't want something in your arsenal, uh, to, to just make them drop their feet because they've never heard it before. You know, I mean, there's, it, it's just mastering your craft and, you know, whether you're a contest caller or not, you ought to be striving to, to be improving. You know, I think just from a competitive standpoint, you know, why, why would you ever just be content with where you are? I mean, I, I know you can, heck, both you guys can, uh, you know, resonate with that. Um, you know, it's just one of those things that, that contest callers, I don't think kill more birds because they're contest callers. Um, you know, I, I think they're, they're going to kill more birds, uh, if they do because of their drive and their passion. Right. And in summary, before we leave this, we're moving on, but <laughs> contest guys, don't think you're necessarily a better waterfowl hunter because you're more advanced on the call. And non-contest guys, don't assume all contest callers are pompous assholes without any humility, okay? Give somebody a chance, send them a message. All right, Domingo Sanchez, he wants to know snakes or sparklers. <laughs> They're the only ones I like. Which ones? Oh, man. 
Oh, dude. Uh, I'd have to go with sparklers because you can do all kinds of cool stuff for the gram on them. My kids love sparklers. You get a little boomerang, you know? Yeah. For anybody yeah. that don't know the backstory on this, Kyle, he dressed up as kicking wing. Well, I think kicking ass from, from Joe Dirt for Halloween. So if you haven't seen it, go check out Kyle's Instagram yeah. page. It's pretty dang funny. So uh, Matt Fritzke, he, uh, he wants to know about go-to blind snacks and gas station food. So... We're going to do a gas station hot seat. Forrest, I'm going to do you first. Favorite gas station snack for the ride to the hunt? Well, personally, I I don't eat anything unhealthy. I live on water and baby carrots. But, um, you know, Lila, she, she, she's really into the gas station nachos and sweet tart ropes and maybe between one and three gallons of Pepsi. Those are so, for Lila, right? Lila, strictly yeah, yeah, yeah. for mine. Okay, yep. just uh, wanted to make yeah. sure. Uh, favorite energy drink for the hunt? Oh, Red Bull. It's not even a right. not even a question. I'm, I'm, it's, Regular it's, or sugar free, or one of those flavored ones? Watermelon or peach? Man, I like the girly oh, flavor. And bring it on. Favorite gas station snack for the blind? I'm gonna say bagged peanuts. <laughs> right on. <laughs> That's brutal. Hey, and when you're laying in the peanuts, you got to keep the farmers in business. Just all right, okay, all right, that's fair enough. <laughs> fair enough, Kyle. Favorite gas station snack for the ride to the hunt? All right, we're gonna we're gonna preface this a little bit. We're gonna end a discussion here as well. All right. Casey's and Wawa are the only gas stations that do exist when it comes to food and snacks. Oh that is gosh. it. That is it. No quick trips, nothing else. It's it's Casey's. Well, Wawa. you've obviously never been to South Texas because if you went down there, oh, and well, got Bucky's. Well, oh, Bucky's, somebody Bucky's, would like kick you in the sack. Well, Bucky's is only only in Texas. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. So, like, if we're going state by state, that's a whole different discussion. I will say Wawa is uh, pretty awesome. No, for for blind snack. Well, for like pre for the ride on the way yeah. there. Oh, dude, pop tarts, two of okay. them. See, I, I like the Hostess chocolate frosted mini donuts. Yeah, those little sleeve of like six. That's that's my go-to favorite energy drink for the hunt. R- Rain Lilacoy lychee. Oh my the flavor. gosh, you guys are so extra. It's like Cade. He likes that rain. Dream orange dreamsicle. Yeah. It's like, See, I like I'm a Red Bull. I, I just like the original Red Bull. The, yeah. Uh, Kate's going to be upset. Sure. I, I, the orange creamsicle tastes like cough syrup. Yeah, I don't. I can't get on board with that. Favorite gas station snack for the blind? Um, Man, I, I would say probably like a snack sticks or um, like honestly like Swedish fish or Sour Patch Kids. Okay. All good choices. I like sour patch chips. I like just. I think I just like regular beef jerky, man. Just yeah. Maybe one of those Jack Links for my blind bag. Usually the beef jerky stuff get like the shreds of it get caught up in the calls, so that's yeah, I, try not to, yeah. I try not to eat it. You know. See, that's why I hunt with guys like y'all. Is I I can sit back and I can eat my beef jerky, and you guys can do your thing. Yeah. You don't have to worry about it. I'm not missing anything out. Remind me not to go try forced calls. I'll go to anaphylactic shock. <laughs> <laughs> Zach Price, he asked about scouting, uh, particularly identifying a roost against a loaf. Uh, he also asked about what time of day to scout and 
what to look for in a field if you can't get on the X? I would assume uh, he's talking about um, when he says look for in a field when you can't get on the X. I guess he's talking about when you're you're weighing your next best option uh, against the X, I would assume. So uh, do you guys, one of you guys want to take that? One of y'all want to start with identifying a roost versus maybe a loaf, a little midday loaf? Yeah, I'll let Forrest get the, the loaf one because I know down there where he was guiding and stuff, and especially out there, they've got a lot of different loaf and roosts that they can go flop between. Yep. Yep. Definitely. No. And, and that's, uh, you know, that's a big topic of discussion and you hear guys talking about not shooting roosts and, you know, hunting water and, and sometimes shooting roosts and hunting water are two very different things. Uh, and, and learning how to read that makes all the difference in the world. So, um, you know, typically when you're looking at a roost and this is going to vary all over the country because we got different kinds of water. Um, but, the majority of the time, a roost is going to be a relatively large body of water, uh, something that's going to, you know, be good drinking water. It's not going to be, uh, you know, just nasty, god awful mud colored, uh, you know, goose crap green kind of water. Um, it's going to be something that they can sustain themselves on, that they can sleep out in the middle of the lake and be safe from predators overnight. Um, now we talk about loafs, and a day loaf is something that. Birds may come off a roost, fly 25, 30 miles to go to this field to feed, but instead of flying 30 miles back to the roost, which they'll, you know, sometimes do, they may find a smaller body of water. And instead of having, say you got 5,000 birds in this feed, maybe instead of all 5,000 going there, you got 1,500 or 2,000 or 500. Uh, You know, it just depends on the scenario. But a lot of times they'll spend the middle of the day on a body of water uh, that, that they wouldn't necessarily spend the night on. And that's your day loaf. Okay. So, uh, you know, hunting roost gets to be a, a touchy subject and, uh, you know, no matter when you hunt it, you're going to have an effect on, on not only your hunting, but the hunting for the, the rest of the, the folks around the area. Um, which granted, I mean, you have that effect on it, no matter where you're hunting, whether you're hunting, you know, in, in the, in a field, uh, running traffic somewhere, you're always going to be leaving a footprint. So, you know, kind of keep that in mind. But when you're hunting uh, a, a roost, you really, really run the risk of scaring birds off, pushing them out of the area. And, uh, you, you know, you, you got to really, really walk on eggshells around that one because there's there's not a lot of ways to do it uh, successfully uh, without really dramatically impacting others around you. Day loafs, uh, on the other hand, you can typically hunt multiple days and be just fine because again, it's not every goose in the county or every goose that's coming off that roost that's going there to spend the middle of the day drinking water uh, and waiting to go back out again in the afternoon. So, um, you know, again, those day loafs are are a fun thing to do. Um, but, but keep in mind, if you show up early in the morning, you know, seven, seven 30, and there's a whole bunch of birds sitting on it, it's probably more of a roost than a loaf. So, you know, if you go in there and, and shoot them and, you know, hunt it three, four days in a row and all of a sudden you don't have any geese to hunt, don't be too surprised. Right. Is there ever an acceptable time to hunt a roost? Yeah. 
Definitely. And, and you can do it right. Um, but, but the thing is doing it right takes a lot of restraint. Um, and in Texas, we, we hunt roosts on occasion and we do it as little as possible. We hunt the fields as often as we can and, uh, day loafs as often as we can. But, um, you know, sometimes you just can't squeeze another hunt out of somewhere or, you know, all the birds are going like, uh, you know, where I was guiding down at uh, Ranger Creek, we hunted in the same ne- neck of the woods as Stanfield. And, you know, sometimes that every bird in the county, you'd be in the big bevel and there's not a whole lot we can do about it. Uh, you know, and we try to try to work together real well. And, and, you know, we don't want to just run traffic off each other's birds and try to screw each other out of a good day because, you know, we're all out there to make a living. But, um, you know, if you hunt a roost, you, you got to be real strict about a time you got to be real strict about, you know, only shooting into three flocks or four flocks and, and a flock being anything bigger than, you know, 25 or so. Um, you know, if, if, if you start shooting into, into a lot of groups, it educates a lot of birds in a hurry, makes them feel uncomfortable. Um, you know, and if you stay and you sit there and try to drag it out to shoot the, the remaining four geese in your limit, um, and you're hunting until 1.30 when every bird's already come back to the lake, every bird's going to see you as opposed to calling it quits a few birds early and being done and picked up by the time the real big groups start to come back. Um, so, you know, you, you, it just takes a lot of restraint. Um, or, I mean, it's the classic last day of the season thing. You know, if, if you're going to go out there, can't shoot them after tomorrow, might as well go burn it to the ground. Definitely. What do you like to look for in a field if you can't get on the X? What is something that makes a field look attractive and say, man, I think, I think we can make that happen. I think, I think we can successfully run traffic on this field. What are the keys to success? What are you looking for? Are you trying to get a certain uh, distance between the roost and the X, are you trying to get a certain distance away from the X? That way, once they do start loading in on the X, they don't pull all your birds off of you. Are you looking for a certain type of ag field that matches what they're sitting on? What What are you looking for in a situation like that? You want to take that one, Kyle? Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, when it comes to that, I, I it can hurt you being so close to an X, especially, especially if you, if it's ducks, especially, or snows. Uh, I mean, I mean, all, all geet, all birds, really, if you've got birds in the air working a field, they're going to pull off of that. You might pull a couple, you might pull a couple small flocks, maybe one, twos. So you don't want to be like, in my opinion, you don't want to be right up against that X, you know, if you can't get on it. Yeah, you can You can probably get a good ways from it, say, you know, a quarter of a mile, half mile away from it. As long as you're on that flight path, I think that will help immensely because you just don't want to get so close to it that you're just going to be bird watching at that point, you know. Um, but when it comes to when it comes to visibility, I think visibility is a huge factor when it when it comes to picking a field. Um, you know, if, if say we're hunting Canada geese, I might go pick a bean field that hasn't been tilled under versus a cornfield that might be knee high of stubble because I can go throw out 20 dozen silos and 10 dozen black and whites, and I can look enormous and I can be seen from a long ways away. 
versus being in a, a cut cornfield where you got knee high stubble, your your decoys, yeah, they'll be seen, but you're not going to be as loud. You know what I'm saying? So I think that plays a huge factor into it. Um, if there's any, I mean, best case scenario would be if I'm off that flight path, you know, I would l- ideally like to be as close to that flight path as possible. But if I'm off that flight path, any type of, you know, perfect scenario would be a, a like a rolling hill bean, bean field that not, is not tilled under that I have, you know, I could have a either a, an edge hide or um, a small depression in it where I can put, you know, those decoys all on that hillside and just make it look enormous. You know, they can see it from a long ways away. And it's more of like a vantage point, really, um, when it comes to the visibility of the birds. Absolutely. And building off kind of what you're saying, I think, you know, part of the question was also, you know, what time of day to scout. And I know a lot of people, you you get into that typical, like, scout the afternoon, hunt the next morning. And there's certainly nothing wrong with that because a lot of us are not afforded to have a morning to scout, an afternoon to scout, morning to hunt. Uh, you know, especially when you go on a trip, you dedicate time to scouting, you dedicate time to hunting. But if you do have that luxury, I think it can be very, very valuable to know what those birds are doing whenever you're going to be hunting there. So if you're going to be hunting in the morning, I think if you can watch those birds in the morning or the morning before, get them on a pattern pattern. and see and what they're doing uh, during that particular time of day, what type of flight path, you know, they're using uh, if the weather is warmed up and gotten stale or if a cold front's coming in, what time are they coming off? When are they doing what they're doing? Um, I think that's really, really important. And I think a lot of people, um, get caught up in wanting to spend a lot of time hunting. And I, I don't think we can stress it enough is I don't, if you're not spending as much time scouting, or I would like to even say a significant, um, more amount of time scouting than you are hunting. Uh, I think you're going to find that you might get to hunt more, but, uh, your averages in the field of birds per hunt or birds per man are going to be significantly lower than, if you spent more time in the truck uh, with the binoculars, watching the birds, seeing what they're doing at different times, learning your birds in your area. And then when you go out, you're going out on very, very high uh, opportunity hunts and you're not just, just sending it, you know, it's not like you're just going out there and um, you know, ah, you know, I heard there were some birds flying over this field or, ah, you know, we killed them in here last week. It's like, Hey, a lot of times that works. And if you can only go on the weekend and you don't get off till dark you gotta hunt it is what it is you go out and you hunt but if you do have the opportunity to give these birds a look and see what they're doing at different times particularly you know if you're gonna hunt a morning watch them in the morning hunt an afternoon watch them in the afternoon seeing what they're doing uh with the weather and the wind i think that can't be uh overstated uh scouting i mean and we say it all the time but we say it all the time for a reason. There's an app uh, that's really cool. I started using it's called Windy. And when you pull it up, it just shows this huge map like of the United States. And it just shows all the different uh, wind directions. And it's cool. So like right now in Arkansas, it's coming up out of the southeast. But if you look uh, like over where forest is, it looks like it's kind of coming out of the looks like west northwest but like uh coming like 
Rapid City, South Dakota, for example, it's coming out of the Northwest. And if you go up to like uh, Great Falls, Montana, it is uh, blowing out of the uh, Southwest. So it's a super cool app that is real time. And a lot of times you'll go out and you'll set up for a hunt. Um, You scouted them. You looked at the weather the night before. You looked at the weather, what it was going to do in the morning. But all of a sudden, you start getting set up and you start feeling it swirling or you feel it in your face or you feel it not in the direction you had planned on feeling it from for your setup. And uh, so I think using technology, I think technology have probably ruined a lot of really good things. But you can't argue that technology has also uh, created a lot of great things as well. So I think being willing to use um technology and apps to your advantage uh is critical uh and not just like this windy app or your weather app but like you're on x maps and uh you know your ability when you know when you're scouting like oh well there you know those birds are on johnson we know we can't get on johnson so let's go look at you know half mile three quarters of a mile up from johnson and see if we can get on miller you know just using apps using technology i think that's huge um you know, times are changing, and uh, I think it's critical that you stay up to date with that type of stuff. Uh, but uh, scout, scout, scout—we say it all the time. And hey, it's okay if you, like I said, if you can't scout, you just got to get out there and send it. Hey, do it, do what you got to do. But if you can get out or have somebody to go out and put eyes on it, give yourself the best opportunity you can, and uh, I think you'll see that it pays off for you. So, moving on from there, John Book, he said he wanted us to talk about what decoying a bird actually looks like. And I know what John is asking, and that is to help educate people on the difference between waterfowl hunting and waterfowl killing. By that, I mean the art of completely fooling a bird into giving it up feet down for a nice, clean layup of a shot. So then I responded to John. I posed the question, uh, is it better to shoot them backpedaling at 35 yards at the end of a spread or the 15-yard cherries, uh, say you've got a quartering wind and you get the 15-yard cherries that come above the blind, uh, say you don't take that cherry and they are coming to your spread, but you're shooting quartered away from you at 45. Is it really better? to shoot them backpedaling than it is 15 yards above the line. I personally believe it's all relative to the conditions on that given day, the conditions, the birds, and what would constitute a successful hunt for whoever is in the blind. Uh, I think it's different for different people. We're all at different stages. Uh, a successful hunt for a God service or an outfitter might not be a successful hunt for, uh, two or three of your buddies that are trying to pick out all green uh, or you're trying to band check or collar check or whatever you want to do. Maybe that's not a successful hunt, Um, but I think it's all relative to who you're talking to. So Forrest, what are your thoughts on this, man? Um, I mean, I know me personally, I've seen the way people shoot at 15 yard cherries above the blind. And there's no prisoners. They kill them all. It doesn't matter. Clients, whoever it is. If they're above the blind, fat bellies to barrels, they die. They die ethically. 
I think it's a good question because whenever they backpedal, you did your job. You feel you're a waterfowl hunter. You did your job. You fooled the birds into giving it up. You feel it looks good. You know, it looks good on video. It looks, it just looks professional. But there is a time, I believe, that you take the easy shot, even though it's not quote unquote pro to what the industry has become or what the industry uh, considers the birds doing it. What are your thoughts on this? You know, uh, you know, I'll probably take the the unpopular opinion on this one. Um, you know, my goal as a hunter, and while I don't need to go out there and, and kill a hundred birds by any means, I'm going to take the most ethical, clean shot that I can because uh, you know I'm not going to get too preachy here, but you know, every life has weight and has value, and my job as a hunter in harvesting these birds is to ethically and respectfully take these birds. Um, in that, in that circumstance, I will take that 15 yard belly up coming at me shot 10 times out of 10, because I am not going to miss that shot period ever. You give me a hundred of them. I might miss one, you know? Um, but I can tell you, especially being a sub gauge guy, uh, you know, well, heck, just use this public land hunt I just did with Kyle. We're out here on public land, Colorado, uh, had a bunch of ducks. We were working them right at light. And the first couple little pairs and, and three packs started breaking off and landing before shooting light. Um, I'm shooting a, a 28 gauge and, and, you know, Kyle's shooting a 12. We, uh, we land a few birds. The rest of the group bugs out. Now it's shooting light. We stand up and shoot. Um, he crunched a couple of them with the 12 out there and I took a shot or two and I pulled feathers, but you know, honest to God, I don't know if I killed a bird or not. Um, you know, and, and it, it really weighs on me and, and bothers me when I potentially cripple a bird and I'm not able to go get it. So, you know, that ate me up, uh, fast forward two hours, get a single Drake mallard starts up real high, broke him down from way up. He's working around, but it's calm wind, so it's not like he's just falling feet first right into the hole. You know, you got to work him and kind of finesse him. And, uh, you know, got him to about 40 yards, hit him with one real light hand. He stuck his feet out, hooked right towards me. I stood up and killed him at about 17 yards. There's a doorknob. And, um, you know, while, while his feet weren't, you know, within two feet of the water and he wasn't backpedaling, I felt like I had convinced that duck just as fully that those plastic decoys had a pulse as if I had, you know, landed the whole group right there in front of us. Uh, so to me, I think a, a decoying bird is a bird that's committed. And uh, by committed, I mean, uh, again, believing that your decoys are real. So if you want to take that shot at 15 yards uh, straight over the top, if, if, he's, if you brought him in and if your decoy spread consists of more than a fence post that you're hiding behind on a windy day, um, you know, if, if that bird's working into your spread, I think that's decoying them every bit as, uh, you know, landing them out there at the edge of the spread. So I find no qualm with that. And I actually feel better because it's a more ethical shot. Uh, you know, compare that to throwing out a big spread and, you know, calling shots into to big wads at 45 or 50 yards that are flaring just because you got 11 guns that are coming up. Um, you know, that's, that's where you start sailing stuff. And, you know, again, like you say, you might get your big rain outs, but 
man, you're going to be chasing birds and, and that's, that's prolonging the death of the bird. And, and I mean, it, it's that kind of stuff that starts to make me, you know, question things. So, um, you know, if I've got a bird that's convinced my decoys are real, I'm going to take the closest, highest efficiency and highest success shot that I can. Yeah. I mean, I think that's especially holds true whenever there's a lot of wind, because you know how it is whenever you're, if you're sitting off the spread and you get them on the edge of the spread, you get one shot at them and you, and your one shot can be a pretty tough shot, especially if you got wind blowing your shot around. But man, once that, once those guns go off and they drop those wings, it's game over. Anything you hit from that point, if you even do hit them, you're going to sail them. I mean, yeah, you crunch them every once in a while, but but you understand what I'm saying. If if they're all the way to you and maybe they're not feet down, there's a good chance you're going to get a couple good looks at that bird, a couple really good shots. I think you take the most ethical shot, and uh, it's our responsibility to uh, – you know, you aim at it, you want to kill it. And if you knock it down or cripple it, okay, it happens all the time. You dispatch of the bird as quick as possible and you move on. So, uh, Kyle, Adam Tupman wanted to know about your time with Fred Zink, helping design calls and how the relationship ultimately ended or, or didn't end. Um, you know, these days, what, it, what your relationship's like. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. You know, so Fred was, Fred was the, uh, the call, he owned the call company that I won the junior world goose calling championship with. And after I won that, they approached me and were like, Hey, would you be interested in designing some calls? And so, you know, I helped with the, the NOS, the NBN and the COD. Um, and ultimately those were, you know, those are still, they're probably, they're, they're Fred, Fred's a, an innovator and he told me let's design these calls to market towards the guys that are the youngest age bracket in our waterfowling, you know, demographic and uh, the ones that are actually buying stuff, you know? So he's like, we want these calls to be, you know, super easy blowing um, sound like a goose, obviously. And we want to market them towards the, the 16 to 25, 28 year old uh, hunter. And so we, we did, we designed that, came up with, you know, the flames, um, wanted something without the big bell, um, you know, cause zinc's like the moneymaker, the little man, the, uh, the PC one and the SR one, those were all calls that had, you know, that was the biggest complaint for a lot of guys was the, the, the big bell at the end of it. Right. Uh, and it was hard to grip. So we wanted something that was, uh, that was, a little bit smaller, a little bit more comfortable. Um, so that's what, that's what we did. Uh, and I worked with them for, uh, two to three years. Uh, whenever I was, I got first involved with them in 2007 and I think I left in 2010 and 2011. Um, and to be honest with you, that was like, right. Whenever they were starting to come out with the AVNX stuff. Um, and you know, looking back on it, um, I think, I made personally a, an immature decision just cause I was like, well, you know, I don't feel involved and he's trying to run a company. So I was being a little bit selfish. Uh, you know, I don't feel involved, so I'm just going to go do my own thing. And that's what it did. So at first the, the, the relationship was a little rocky, um, because you know, they gave me an opportunity 
um, to go and work with them, uh, design calls and work for them. And, um, you know, it was just one of those deals where it, it was, you know, it, it was a little rocky because, you know, I was going and blowing a field proven on stage or a Saunders. Uh, and so they were just a little bit, uh, annoyed or peeved by that. But, you know, uh, the first time I saw Fred was in, since then was in 2017. So I hadn't, we really hadn't spoke, um, or talked to each other for a few years. Um, you know, I kept up with him on social media. He kept up with me, but you know, it was the first time he came up, shook my hand, gave me a hug. And it was just like, none of what that, none of that, what transpired or the emotions that were there, none of that mattered. Um, you know, he was just happy to see me. I was happy to see him. We sat and talked for a while. Uh, later that night, uh, I saw him in the bar because this was in downtown Nashville at Grand, uh, the Grand National Convention. And, you know, X is everywhere there. You know, it's just like that's their, that's their gig is turkeys. And now is, is the turkey stuff. So they're very, very involved with the turkey stuff. And, uh, you know, we had a few drinks and, man, we're, we're good. I could – definitely call him up and we could chat for a few hours and, uh, talk hunting, uh, because that's, we could, we could talk hunting all day and, and go from there. It's just, uh, you know, that's what it was and what it came out to be is, uh, definitely a 180. So it's, um, I'm thankful for that, but also, you know, thankful for the opportunity that they, they gave, they gave myself because that really kind of got me cemented into, uh, the waterfowl industry. Absolutely. That's awesome, man. Cool, cool background. We're, uh, moving on. Um, I'd like to talk about that a lot more, but we're an hour deep. I got a couple more questions I want to get to. Um, but we'll talk more on that at another time. That's, that's interesting. I'd like to know more of the background there. Brandon Wolf, he had a question that was a little bit more detailed, basically wants to know, if you had a chance at an in-your-face shot uh, or a side shot, or I guess I guess a setup more so for an in-your-face uh, setup or a side shoot setup, which one are you taking? Um, would you set up so the birds are not approaching your blind head-on? And how would the sun impact your plans for setting up? Now, just putting the pieces together, I want to say that Brandon is talking about an A-frame in this situation because, you know, if you're in a a good stubble field and layouts, I don't think that you would really be worried about the birds uh, approaching your blind head-on because if you did your job and got your blind brush, that should be a non-issue. So I want to assume that Brandon is talking about an A-frame style blind. Forest uh what are your thoughts on that well man i mean personally uh, it doesn't really matter a whole lot what kind of blind setup i'm using um i'm gonna try and use the the sun to my advantage anytime i can uh and i'm also gonna try and be out of the direct field of view um you know personally if if i've got my druthers um i would have either a north or south wind and i would be 
on the east side of the spread looking west. So I've got, uh, you know, the, the sun in the bird's eyes when they try to look towards me as they're setting up into the decoys, uh, mainly because I like taking pictures of them like that. I think they're prettier. Uh, I like, uh, you know, personally with, with ducks and geese, I like looking for bands and sometimes it pays off and most of the time it doesn't, but you know, it's just a, another added element that's kind of fun. And, and if I can illuminate the bird, not only for a good picture, but, uh, also being able to look at it and, and just enjoy how beautiful these things are, um, you know, that's, that's how I prefer to do it. You know, I, I know a lot of guys who like to set up and, and center punch them when they're coming right at you. And I mean, it feels good. I can't argue. And, and, and when they're doing it right, man, I, I just want to be under them. That's all that matters. But really, uh, you know, if, if I had my choice, I would take a cross shot, uh, with the sun lighting them up, uh, and, and blinding them as they try to look at me. Uh, and it keeps me and my other, uh, friends out of their main field of view. So they're worried mainly about decoys are not concerned about me. And, and especially in an A-frame circumstance, I like cross shooting them because, uh, you know, it's just more natural. These birds are so used to having predators jump out of brush piles and all that, uh, using brush piles as uh, a blind essentially for them to be able to sneak up in a field on them. Uh, that, that not that it doesn't work by any means, of course it works, but uh, I've just had more success out of A-frames uh, shooting them from the side as well. Uh, what are you doing on the days that you have a strong west wind and you're going to have sunshine? Um, well, because it's winter time and the sun's further south, I'll try to be, if I can work it out, I'll try to hide on the south side. Um, again, just to keep them lit up. Uh, you know, really, I, if, if I could, if I could have a south to uh, really just any sort of a south wind any time in the winter that's that's pretty freaking sweet and makes for great pictures uh you know you can set up one way or the other but um you know uh, basically if i get a big west wind i'm going to try and be on the south of them so i can shoot north and of course there's those times when you know you're going to have to look into the sun and that's how it is but uh you know if, if, if i've got my choice like i say just make them look into the sun to find you and uh stay out of where they're trying to land how do you factor in your shadows in a situation uh, that you're setting up with that sun in their face and you're in an A-frame style blind? You know, I try to make sure that there's a good distance between those decoys and that blind so that, you know, after about the first 15 minutes of sunrise, uh, I don't have any decoys in the shadows. Uh, not that it, it's one of those, uh, you know, killer kind of things, but I, I really just find that when the sun gets a little bit higher, uh, that the shadows get off of the decoys, birds are, they just decoy a lot more readily. And I think that, that long shadow, especially with an A-frame, um, can definitely have, have an effect. Uh, you know, if you got a, a shadow that's running 35, 40 yards across the middle of your decoys in a big black spot, they're going to look at what, what's making the shadow. Uh, so, you know, there, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it, but really I just try to keep those shadows off the decoy as best I can. I had, um, I'm trying to see if I can find it, but somebody asked me, they asked me about not being able to kill birds in the sunshine over silhouettes. And I told him, I said, well, the 
Dropbox of thousands of photos I have of every single species in the brightest sunshine you can imagine landing in the silhouettes would in fact prove that is a rumor as well as the countless God service and outfitters that send me pictures and DM content every single day all over the country. But what is your experience hunting in all silhouette spread in the sunshine? Bright sunshine as in no cloud sunshine. I prefer it, honestly. I'm the same way. I'd say give it yeah. the sun. Absolutely. Well, the, one of the biggest... Give me those shadows, are, man. It makes it look so realistic. Once that sun gets up, man. Yep. And, and I mean, you, not that you won't have success on cloudy days. I mean, I, I beat them up pretty much equally, but... I can tell you when I'm flying over, uh, you know, in, in DB1, when I've done these, the drops and flown over some spreads, man, I am telling you on a sunny day with shadows, you guys could be running half full bodies, half silhouettes. I wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Cannot tell the difference. Not at all. And, and on a cloudy day, if you circle enough and you look, you can pick out some decoys that may be appearing and disappearing. Obviously we see differently than the birds because, you know, we, we don't have monocular vision. We've got binocular vision. Um, but even to, to me on a sunny day, when you look at silhouettes that are making shadows, I can't tell what's a full body and what's a silhouette. They, they just look that good in the sunshine. Yeah. I think one thing like other than the obvious advantages of silhouettes, you know, with, um, you know, pickup teardown is obviously rapid fire, but you know, storage, uh, space, money, all those things. But when you get outside of those things and you start talking about field advantages, like the profiles, the, the very, very distinct profiles of silhouettes are so realistic from the air. And then those shadows on sunny days, it's like people say, Oh, they don't work on sunny days. And like we said at the beginning, it was like, dude, give me the sunshine because I know what these things look like from above and it's absolutely awesome. But their ability to not get lost in ground clutter. And I'm not talking about in a, you know, a peanut field or a winter wheat field, we'll say, but like a, you know, like a dirty corn field or something like that, or a barley field, you know, there's a lot of stubble in it. Like their ability to not get lost in the ground clutter of those type of fields is what I think really sets them apart and just gives you that pulling power and visibility that is just unmatched with any other decoys because the profiles and postures are so distinct. So um, there's a lot of advantages. And, um, you know, I think that all conditions, we've seen them work. I mean, it just it's just the plain fact. I've literally hunted them every species and every condition you can imagine. There's nobody that I believe that's as transparent with what they do and what they've got going on as Dive Bomb Industries. I truly believe that. We show stuff on our story. We go live. Um, the Facebook group, I mean, videos, raw, unedited cell phone videos. Like, I don't think there's anybody that's as raw and as real as what we do. And we're not holding anything back. We're not Photoshopping in uh, sunshine to make things look brighter than they are. We're not, you know, snow, clouds, rain, whatever it is. What you see is what you get. And uh, I can just tell you, in all conditions and all species, sometimes birds are going to be birds. Sometimes days things are not going to work. I've seen birds flare off of live birds whenever they're working them. Saw them do it last year in Nebraska. But the fact is, plain and simple, they work. I was once 
I don't want to say a non-believer, but I was kind of like, you know, 2012, 2013. I'm kind of like, meh. I mean, I remember my first silhouettes I ever owned were, uh, gosh, I was probably 10 years old. I got some um, real geese from uh, Max Prairie Wings with my Christmas money. And uh, I sold them a couple years later. It wasn't the silhouettes problem. I thought it was because I just didn't know what the hell I was doing. But they work. Plain and simple. They work. They kill birds. They kill all species of birds. And there's always going to people say, oh, blame the decoy, blame this and that. And I go back and say, hey, sometimes they're good, but birds are going to be birds. But there's other times you need to look at what you're doing and the controllable factors in the field. And I'm talking about stuff like your hide, your calling, you know, location, doing things that you can control to make the birds act right. You know, I think a lot of people overlook stuff. They're like, well, I mix my flocked and unflocked. The birds are flaring. It's like, dude, don't overthink it. Like there's something else that is causing the issue other than your flock versus your unflocked decoys. It's like, we're, we give the birds some credit, you know, they can, they can make a fool out of us at times, but let's not give them too much credit. Moving on. I'm going to ask you this first, Kyle. Can you set an A-frame smack dab in the middle of a field for honkers? Absolutely. Oh, I, I honestly, I, I would prefer it. Honestly, it's just it's it's better shooting, better and accurate shooting opportunities are presented out of an A-frame versus a layout. Yes, the layouts you can, uh, if you've got the right hide, you can hide much better. Um, and, and be invisible to the eye of the, you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, right? Um, for from a from a human's perspective, it looks really good because oh yeah, your 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 layouts are you're all hidden, everything like that. But you, the best thing whenever you go and buy an A-frame is to buy another one and have your buddy buy another because the more you have, the better it looks versus just a uh, just versus a, a box out in the field, you look like a boner in sweatpants. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> For, but, but like, if you if it's grassed in correctly, the top is the biggest part. Play the wind, play the sun. I mean, it's not. You know, I think people tend to overthink hiding. They they overthink hiding a whole lot more. They bring in a human factor of it whenever they're they're it comes to hiding an a frame. I would in no doubt in my mind, go put an A-frame out in, uh, in the middle of a field. I mean, guys in like Maryland, they're putting cedar blinds in the middle of bean fields, you know, like un- unplowed bean fields and they're killing geese out of them. It's just, if it looks natural and you stay hidden and play the wind, it, it, you're gonna, it, it's, it's an effective tool to have. Dude, I swear to you last year, we were pulling into a field and uh, Nick was with me and I was like, dude, there's no way that's our hide. And it was literally a blind that had like six stitches of grass on it. And we were hunting honkers and ducks and we had the sun at our back smack dab in the middle of this field and i'll just was like we're not gonna fire a shot (laughs) and what proceeded over the next like hour and a half was double limits of mallards in canada geese with the sun in their face absolutely blinded and we 
wore them out out of this naked ass blind in the middle of the field and i was just like oh my gosh like i cannot believe that just happened and you know there's some days there you just can't even hardly screw it up and then there's days it just feels like you can't do anything right but you know i just thought that was so funny because just driving out there i'm just like oh my gosh like damn it you know like this yeah. is not gonna be good this is not but, ideal. yeah it wasn't and we just absolutely beat the brakes out of them. i mean i could drive down to the stuttgart highway right now and you take a trip from from max prairie wings down the old stuttgart highway from my house here in central arkansas in both sides of the road between Humnoak and stuttgart you're gonna see blinds and rice fields just all over the place but and they're just like you said a boner in sweatpants you can see them from 10 miles away in the middle of a rice field, just mashing these dudes mashing. And then all of a sudden we start thinking about putting an A-frame out and I'm like wanting to like, uh, kind of overanalyze it and like, Oh man, you know, I'm all worried about it. And then it all ends up coming together. But I find myself every time the situation comes up being like insanely nervous about it. And I think the times that it hasn't worked out, I've wanted to be like, ah, oh, it was the A-frame. We should have been on the edge or we should have been in a layout. When in reality, it was probably something else we screwed up or something else we did wrong. But that was the easy, you know, that was kind of like the easy scapegoat, just like the lousy blame in the blind. Like, well, you know, if we would have put the A-frame on the edge, we would have killed them or oh, if we'd have gotten layouts, you know, or blah, blah, blah. But anyway, I mean, you see it every day. And I mean, literally we get DMs like, every day of people doing stuff that's just unorthodox and um yeah i'm I'm definitely guilty at times of uh of that's one thing like me and trevor shanahan like we don't we don't agree on very much um and he was like dude you you overestimate waterfowl like you you overanalyze it you give them way too much credit and at times i think i do i think he probably gives them too little credit um, I think he uh, undervalues waterfowl. He thinks I overvalue value waterfowl and their knowledge, and I partially agree with that. But um, I'd rather be I'd I'd rather be overdoing it than underdoing it. I can tell you that. But I think there's times that we probably overanalyze it in uh, when it comes to our specific setup. Now, I'm not talking about brush and hide. Like if you decide you're going to go with the A frame. Like Kyle said, I think it's pretty critical that you definitely get more than one out there. I mean, I've seen plenty of guys kill them in one, but it just seems like if you can create your own edge to three, four A-frames, it seems like the more you've got, the better. So I don't want to discourage anybody from going out there with one and giving it a shot. Uh, that's just from our personal experiences, and we just a lot of times we're not just hunting with three people uh, in the middle of a field in an A-frame. So it's usually quite a lot more than that um but don't be afraid to give it a shot man god sent us dms every single day of stuff that i'm just like man i can't believe that worked and um yeah probably at times do give waterfowl a little bit too much credit but uh i think they uh, need to be respected relative to uh, the weather and what time of year it is because i think sometimes you can definitely get away with a lot of uh, a lot of uh, a lot of lousy uh preparation and i think there's times that you just can't but it's really all relative to where you're hunting and the pressure on those birds and what they've seen uh, it's just going to be a different story in different places so moving on um 
quickly, I don't want to dive into this too deep. We're an hour and 15 deep, and then I still have one more question after this. But Brendan Allen asked about the etiquette of asking for hunting permission, the do's and don'ts. Uh, each of you quickly give me uh, one minute or less. I'm the farmer. It's ringing right now, and I'm saying hello, and I've got a field that you want to hunt on. Forest, you're first. Ring. Hello? Yeah. Hey, uh, you know, I'd, I'd be real real clear and concise say hey no 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 i want i want to hear your conversation (laughs) no i don't want to hear what you do i want to hear what you're gonna say to mr allen that you're calling right now all right morning mr allen you know my name's forrest carpenter i i you know notice that you're the owner of this field over here off you know road x and road y uh there's a bunch of geese in there and i was just calling to see if i could get permission to go and hunt them from you well, I've had guys in the past I've given permission, um, but I had a boy that went down there and said he wouldn't drive in my field, and we ended up having to, to pull him out. Well, sir, you know, I don't I don't mind, uh, you know, walking everything in, whether it's blinds and all that. I don't have a whole bunch of stuff that I'm going to take in. Uh, it's a real small footprint, and, and frankly, uh, I'd just assume walk in as opposed to driving in just to avoid having to deal with any of that. And, uh... Are you guys gonna you guys gonna clean up yourselves after you get done there? You won't even know we were there. Okay, all right, done deal. Horse <laughs> is a smooth talker. I got a seventy eight caddy for sale. I'm curious. I mean, you could probably use <laughs> one, couldn't you? All right, Kyle, Mister Allen, you're on the phone. It's ringing. He just answers. You want permission on his cornfield next to the river that's holding like. 3,000 giant Canada geese. Go. Hey, Mr. Allen. Uh, my name is Kyle Jones. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I've got a, I've been scouting for some Canada geese, and I noticed right along the river uh, in the cornfield, there's a bunch of them. Uh, I was wondering if my buddies, there's going to be two more of us, just three, three total people were, were able to go out there and hunt uh, for some of those Canada geese. Uh, we'd be in there tomorrow, no other days after that. Um, and we're more than willing to walk everything in unless you're completely okay with us driving through there. Um, but we would, we were planning on walking everything in. Now, are you a local or are you from around here? No, I'm actually from, uh, from Washington state. I will be leaving, uh, directly after, uh, we're done hunting. And you guys just want the want the field for tomorrow morning? Just tomorrow morning, we'll pick up everything, uh, and then if you know if you need any help around the farm or anything like that, we'll be we'll be we'll more than willing to uh, help you out for a couple hours before my flight. Beautiful, done deal. See, you could you could always be like Cade and and uh, well, um, my dad he's the uh, the pastor here at uh, First Baptist Church. Here in uh, Judsonia, <laughs> and uh, it all goes really well until he goes. Well, you know, I, I know your dad, but uh, you know, it's funny I'm <laughs> around. That's that's right. Yeah, it seems like on Sunday, every time I talk to your dad, he says, "Oh, well, he's a uh, he's out in uh, the duck woods or the deer woods somewhere." Uh, maybe you should uh, decide to come to church tomorrow morning instead of uh, instead of hunting. But now I give Kate a hard time. He'll start calling on stuff, and he, you know, he goes to that. 
that dad pastor line pretty quick. And I'll be honest with you, he gets it about every single time. I mean, so it works for him. And he's not lying. His dad is a pastor. He's a great man. Very good pastor as well. Okay, so last thing um, before we wrap this up, we're going pretty deep. Guys, I wish we could have got all of them. I really do. And, and we can do this again. But this question caught my eye. Um, Mackenzie Saltzman. Uh, I'm not going to go through the whole question just because we've got to wrap this thing up. But she had a great question, and it, it made me it just made me stop and think for a moment. Um, she asked, "What would you consider a successful hunt?" And in our position, it's very very easy to take this life and and these hunts and our travel for granted because we do it every day. And I try to pinch myself. And say, hey man, like every day you gotta, you know, you gotta be ready to conquer the day and do the best you can every single day. Give it your best effort, 110%. And then tomorrow we're gonna do the same thing again and we're not gonna look back. Um, but, but that's kind of hard to do. I think everybody can relate to that with, uh, with whatever you do in life, um, you, whatever your profession is. So these days, Kyle, yeah, what would you consider? A successful hunt. Yeah. So I, I actually, uh, I, I know Mackenzie, um, actually pretty, pretty well. Uh, he's from Paducah as well. He's, he's got a brand new baby. So congrats on your brand new baby. Uh, Mackenzie. I apologize as well. Oh, I you're... said her, I think I might've <laughs> said her. So Mackenzie, I'm uh, sorry. He, uh, he hunts with his dad, hunts quite a bit of public. So I'd imagine, you know, from his standpoint, uh, we can probably agree on a lot of things of what a successful hunt is. Uh, I think, you know, when it, like we said, like, like we talked about earlier, um, when it comes to work, there's there, we have to, there's a, we have a, a line that we have, you know, we have an expectation kind of when it comes, cause we got to get work done and we've got to be able to get the content, uh, get, you know, fulfill the shot list of everything we got to do but in my opinion man uh anytime i've i've come to enjoy just just watch my dogs work um you know and that's that's really you know king's king seven uh anytime i can get out and get him a couple couple extra retrieves um and and see the excitement in his eyes not ever it it hasn't dimmed you know And, and then i've got a young dog too and just seeing her get everything and, and and figure things out like when you start duck calling she hides back in her blind a little bit just like little things and, and i think anytime i can get out whether it's one duck or just walking into a you know a, a public afternoon hunt with them and they're just they're just pumped and amped up ready to go i think honestly that's that's already been a successful hunt from the start uh the birds are just a bonus uh at that point um or, I mean, heck, like whenever Forrest and I were hunting together, we had a group of about a hundred ducks just sit perfectly within our decoys, but probably three minutes before shooting light. And we're just like, yep, that was totally worth that walk in, you know? So I think it, it varies, uh, per hunt, but at the mm-hmm. same time, you know, everything just, just gets you. There's, there's that one instance that gets you. You know, definitely. What about you, Forrest? 
Man, I mean, I, I pretty much echo everything Kyle said. Uh, you know, we, we do have a lot of stuff we have to do in this job. And sometimes it, it might take our attention away from, you know, getting to just enjoy the sunrise or sit back and, you know, drink a cup of coffee or, you know, shotgun another Red Bull or something. <laughs> um, but, you know, aside from just enjoying uh, being there and, and, and accomplishing what we have to do, uh, even on the days where, I mean, you guys know as well as I do, sometimes when you go out and do this stuff, sometimes it just falls flat. You know, we, we don't post a ton of videos on that stuff because there's not a lot to post. But, um, you know, sometimes you, you, it's hard to get anything out of it as far as content's concerned. But uh, just meeting some of these people, my God, I mean, I, I feel so blessed to have gotten to meet the people that we meet uh, on a daily basis. You know, we spend two or three days with, with some guys and then go meet another, you know, couple guys for two or three days. And, um, you know, building those relationships has been absolutely huge and has really changed my outlook on hunting. Uh, I can tell you now that I, I feel like I could confidently call anyone, uh, West coast, to East coast. Uh, you know, I, I got people pretty much in any state that anywhere I go, I got a list of people I need to call and, and try to meet up with and say hi while I'm out there. And, uh, you know, that's, that's pretty special to me. And I, I feel like that's, you know, one way to measure success. Um, you know, and, and Kyle, you know, to, to kind of build on what you were talking about with your dogs, you know, Lila's 11. She's old and she's been with me for a very long time. She's been with me longer than my wife who's sitting here by my side, giving me a look now, but, um, <laughs> she's, she's been with me for a long time. And, uh, you know, I think I, I did the math and I think Lila is now 14 birds away from 10,000. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's incredible, just, man. It's wild. I, I've been, I've been blessed to spend so much time with her and to be able to just enjoy things. And now at 11, you know, I'm not, I, I'd probably try sending her on a, you know, five, 600 yard blind, but she can't hear as well. You know, I got to, you know, give her a whistle stop early and hope she takes a direction well. And, you know, if she doesn't, it's a lot less frustrating because, you know, frankly, we've been spending a lot more time in the drive through getting her chicken nuggets than we have <laughs> working bumpers and working blinds. So, you know, I'm, I'm cool with it. She's kind of, she's kind of earned all the good stuff, but um, you know, every, every time she gets to come out, even just to sit by my side, you know, that's, that's, that, that's a winner for me. No doubt. Yeah. My two-year-old Simba, he keeps freaking pawing me. He is ready for this thing to be over with. He's been laid up under my chair asleep and now he's all revved up. You can probably hear him scratch around and being super annoying. But, um, I, I, I totally agree with what you guys have to say. I mean, a successful hunt if, if, if it's a dive bomb trip, a successful hunt, if we go somewhere, we have a good time with our outfitters, we enjoy each other's company, that was successful. It was wildly successful if we can go and do that and put together a good hunt. Because if we put together a good hunt, that means we've got good media for you guys. That means we have good media that they can use, makes us look good, makes them look good. So that would that's a... That's a wildly successful hunt. That's an awesome successful hunt. But a successful from a dive bomb job standpoint, if we go, everybody stays safe. We have fun. Everybody goes home to their family at the end of the day, and we enjoyed each other's company. Then that was a successful hunt. Uh, me personally, if I go out uh, here at home and I'm not working, uh, a successful hunt is not only being safe and coming home, but uh, 
maybe getting to spend some time with some people that I don't get to hunt with quite as much these days. I mean, we're talking about going from 50 to 55 days a year in Arkansas uh, every year for seven or eight years in a row. And then before that, probably 30 days a year. But, uh, you know, I don't get to hunt at home and hunt with some of my friends like I used to. So if I can go out and hunt with those guys, um, I don't want to say that's just a successful hunt. Cause I'm not going to, I'm, I'm not just going to sit here and say we, if we go out and take a shutout, that was successful. I would say certainly enjoyable. Um, but if I can go out with those guys and we kill them and, and I don't mean 10, 12 guys, I'm talking about two, three, four, five guys. If we go out and kill them, uh, as in, you know, we kill 10, 15, you know, maybe shoot our mallards, maybe kill our 20 mallards or 16 mallards, whatever we got, four or five guys. Uh, I guess that's what I would call a successful hunt. Uh, an enjoyable hunt, though, shoot, man, anytime I get to go out and go and get to hang out with my friends, I would call that enjoyable. But uh, I, I'm way too competitive to consider it successful if we just go out and uh, and we don't do any good. So um, that's just kind of the way I am. Um, now I guess we're an hour and a half deep, guys. We're going to wrap it up now. We'll do this again because we have so many more questions that – we need to get to, but I just want to uh, let everybody know we we greatly appreciate you listening. I'm uh, I'm honored to have both of these guys on board and a part of Dive Bomb Industries. I think you guys are going to love the series that we've got coming. I just feel like it's gonna it's gonna uh, hit home with so many people, and I think it's just gonna be. I think it's going to be awesome. It's going to be a cool series. I can't wait to see it unfold. These guys have big plans. We've got big plans for a lot of other things other than this series, but you guys are going to love it. These two guys, they're great. They're very knowledgeable. They're open to help uh, anytime that anybody has questions. So reach out to them because I can tell you they'll help you. Send them a message. Send them a DM. Send them an Instagram DM. Send them a Facebook DM. Reach out to them. Ask them a question. Send them an email. Uh, they will help you. Uh, we'll, we'll take our time to help you. I'll help you. I'll help you however I can. Any questions you got, like I said, I don't have a magic eight ball, uh, but I'm going to give you the best answer that I possibly can. And if I don't think I'm giving you a qualified answer, I'll reach out to somebody to give me a qualified answer and then I'll pass the information along to you. So, uh, we want to do the best we can. We want to be relatable. We want to have fun, but we want to also, uh, we want to put some birds on the dirt. So guys, I appreciate both of you joining me, taking your time. Uh, we got a busy, busy schedule coming up. Everybody's going to be seeing a lot of you guys very, very soon. Hey, thanks for having us, man. It, it's always great to get out there. And again, yeah, for, for anyone that has questions, please email, DM, doesn't matter. Whatever we can do to help you, that's, that's what we're here for. Absolutely. Uh, extremely excited to be a part of this. And uh, thank you for having uh, both of us on here and, like Forrest said, anything, any questions at all are, you know, our messages are always open. Don't ever feel like you're, you're bugging us or, you know, out of, out of line or, or anything like that about getting a hold of us. Cause we're, we're always open to help. And that's, that's our goal is really just to help people. Um, you know, that's part of the reason why we do what we do with dive bomb too, is we're trying to make, uh, everybody's hunts better and create a better experience. So, um, that's, that's all we're trying to do here. Absolutely. Well, I'll talk to both of you guys soon. Thanks a ton. Yep. Thank all you right, guys. All right, guys, there it is. Uh, 
I've said it once. I've said it a million times. We are here to help you. I mean, ultimately it's our job to sell decoys, but if you buy our decoys from us, that's not the end of the transaction. We want you to be successful over our product because one, it makes us look good. You tell your friends about it. You buy more decoys. They buy decoys. It helps us. It helps you. Y'all kill birds. We sell decoys. We're having fun. So we want to help you reach out to us. We have so many people available. Um, whether it's photos, hunting advice, different questions. I didn't get to everybody's question today, but you can message it to one of us and you can get an answer from somebody or one of these guys just because you didn't hear it on here. If it's about photos, whatever, Nick, Cade, you know, Nick or Katie's 20 years old and he's doing a lot. And both of these guys are very qualified and learn from guys who are very qualified. Uh, Welcome to send any of us a message. I can't stress that enough. We appreciate you guys so much for listening along. And uh, as always, make sure you're following along our social media channels. We greatly appreciate your support. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Uh, I say it every episode, but the closed Facebook group, it's the absolute best place to get inside information on Dive Bomb Industries. You just can't beat it. Find out you know, when new products are coming back in stock, what's coming, what's in the pipeline. So... You guys stay safe out there. Y'all keep killing them. We'll talk to you soon. Until next time, y'all be good. Thank you for listening to the Dive Bomb Squadcast.